My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Have you ever been turned off by what you see on the porn screen or thought about making your own erotic films? Do you want to use your gifts and skills in other ways to better the world or find yourself like so many feeling helpless when there's so much chaos going on around? If you nodded your head to any of these questions or just love hearing insight from incredible humans, you are in luck. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and today's show is going to be kind of epic. Not because of me, but because of three spectacular women. I'm talking living legends in music and film including one of the most famous U.S. rock and roll singers, a musician who basically uses her whole body as her band, and a powerhouse who is changing the adult cinema industry, one film at a time. Before we dive in, though, I have to tell you about today's sponsor. It came about like this, and by the way, they didn't tell me to speak so candidly, but I am gonna. I was going through a rough patch and wanted to talk to a therapist ASAP not in weeks or months or going through that rigmarole I'm sure many of you relate to where you either call your insurance if you have it or stress over funds and your bank account wondering if you could afford it, getting a list of names, Googling people, hoping someone has availability. And I can tell you based on my own experience and numerous friends of mine that the availability is not so high right now. A lot of people are seeking emotional support. And then I remember this ad I saw for Talkspace. I knew it was some kind of online therapy, but that's really all I knew. And you guys, I started within a day. I was talking to an awesome therapist who has helped me more than I can say. So here's how it works. You go to their website, you fill out a form, you request the kind of therapist that you want, and they recommend a few based on your needs and preferences from over 1,500 licensed therapists in their roster. And then you choose one and then you start. So I went through that part and I was thinking, you know, I might get like a robot <laughs> answer. I thought maybe it's going to be, you know, a canned opening or some sort of, I don't know, not very human response. And instead, I got this video message from the therapist I'd chosen specifically to me, talking straight to me, very conversational. She had read my preparation materials and knew what I was looking for and asked great questions. And it is so much more like conventional therapy than I imagined it would be, only it's better in some ways. It's basically like having a therapist in your pocket. You go back and forth through text or video or audio message, and they also have Skype options. So if you want to have some real-time sessions, depending on which, which package you get. So my therapist, like I said, is amazing. I'm sure there are many other awesome ones. And she replies to whatever kind of message I leave up to twice a day, Monday through Friday. I mean, when can you ever get that? Like, if I have an issue today, I don't want to wait <laughs> to talk to somebody. Sometimes even waiting for a week if you have weekly therapy. And I know that some situations, you know, you really want to do 
be in that conventional space, but it's not for everyone. And, and in my case, I was looking for something a bit different, and this has worked out so amazing. The packages start at $32 a week, which is so much more affordable than conventional therapy. And you can leave a message 24-7 in the middle of the night, first thing in the morning. And even doing that part a few times, I have had a moment where I just need to like vent a little bit. And at one point, I even said, you know, I shared what I needed to share. And then I got to the end. And I was like, well, there, that, that was it. Thanks. I guess I'm better now. You know, I just felt like it was done. And even so, she replied, my therapist replied with a really helpful no, like I I just felt very affirmed. And anyway, obviously, I'm obsessed with this. And so <laughs> I decided to contact Talkspace and see if they would like to collaborate in some way because I want an option for you all to, to get the emotional support you want. Many of you have reached out to me with questions, which I love that you know that you can share and that this is a safe space, and it is. And I also know that ongoing support is another thing, right? And several people recently have told me that it's just too expensive, you know, um, or for other reasons, maybe you work really long hours. Like who can schedule therapy if you're working 10 hours a day or 12 hours a day or two jobs or whatnot? So anyhow, I reached out to Talkspace and they agreed to sponsor two episodes a month for a trial period. I'm so excited. And that'll keep going if the promotion gets a lot of action, if you know what I mean. So if you all would just at least click on it, I'd really appreciate it. But I do hope that anyone who is looking for some kind of support will consider this as a huge bonus. You can save $30 off your first month. So that's almost a week free. And by the way, you can cancel anytime. There's not like this lifelong commitment where you sign up and they just keep charging you. Uh, anytime. You could do one month and that's it if there's like one issue you're working on. To get the discount, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boner. Easy to remember. Talkspace.com forward slash boner to learn more or sign up. So again, Talkspace.com forward slash boner. If you could, again, use support, if you want to support Girl Boner Radio at the same time, thank you so much. Please head over and check it out. And for Girl Boner Extras, remember to sign up for email updates on my site, augustmclaughlin.com. I send those about once a month. So back to world changers we so desperately need right now because, let's face it, times are tough. I still believe, this is one of my core beliefs, that there is more good in the world and more positivity and goodwill in people and humans than negativity or atrocity. And that we've come a long way in so many areas. But even so, I mean, there's a lot of craziness going on. Right now, gosh, the, the DACA chaos, I, I don't even have words. I'm sending so much love to the dreamers who deserve only acceptance and respect. I want to support you more. I'm looking for ways to do so. Uh, I just hope that that changes for the better because we are better because of you. I'm also sending love to everyone affected by the recent floods and hurricanes in, in India, Bangladesh, Nepal, those have killed an estimated 1,200 people. And that's, that's just the, the people who've died. Imagine the atrocity and, and communities that can't rebuild or don't have the resources to rebuild. 
I'm also sending love to everyone affected by Hurricane Harvey, my goodness, which has displaced over one million people and countless animals, as well as everyone in Hurricane Irma's path. So we are going to, I hope, cheer people up today, bring some sunshine, and get you thinking about some important topics and also offer some ways that you can help, because I know that that's a really big piece too, not only to help us feel better, but to genuinely give back and and support people when when things are rough. First, we're going to start with a interview I recorded this morning by Skype because of time zone issues. I huddled up in my bathroom and tried to block out all the echo, so I hope it's okay. I'm not the best tech person. And then next up, after that, you're going to hear from some amazing rock and rollers. This is a longer episode, as you might have noticed, so if you do want to listen to it in two parts, the first part's probably about a half hour, but I do hope you'll catch the whole thing. I'm so honored to welcome Erica Lust, an award-winning indie erotic filmmaker who is on an incredible mission to cultivate more ethical porn conception, and I'm such a fan. Thank you for joining me, Erica. Well, thank you very much. That sounded like a wonderful introduction. (laughs) (laughs) And very, very deserving. Before we get to your work and, and mission that I respect so much, I'd love to hear a little bit about your own personal journey. I know growing up in Sweden, it's a very, relatively speaking, feminist culture, I guess, or has a little bit more sex positivity than than maybe we see here in the U.S. I wonder what, yes. what did you learn about sex and sexuality very early on? Well, actually, I learned quite a lot. I, uh, you know, you are completely right when you say that Sweden is a more feminist society, and it's also very sex-aware society. Sweden was, you know, the first country in the world, actually, to make sex education mandatory in schools uh, very early on. And uh, my experience when, when I went to school was that we started to talk about it in a very natural way from the beginning, you know, like sex was just a part of who we are as human beings. And actually, the funny thing is that when we think about it, we come from sex. We are here because two people at one point had sex. So it should really be something very, very natural for us. Uh, And then I guess we started to talk more about the biological part of it, you know, how we work and uh, the differences, of course, between men and women, young boys and girls. And uh, as I grow a little older, uh, we have the great advantage of having sexologists coming and visit us at our schools. And I remember that we were divided into smaller groups, just girls and just guys. And we had the opportunity to actually, you know, ask questions about sex, uh, tell stories, share stories about sex, and not just, you know, that regular kind of sexual education where you talk about everything that is dangerous about sex and that, you know, you can get pregnant, oh my God, and you can get, uh, you know, uh, you can get sick, of course, and you have to protect yourself. And I mean, that's obviously very important information. But there's a whole other thing when it comes to sex. And it's like, 
the emotional part of it. What does it mean? How do you feel? How do you relate to other people? Um, what erotic ideas do you have? And and what is really that feeling? You know, when when you look at someone and you feel attracted to that person, and suddenly you realize that you have butterflies in your stomach. We talked about all those things. And I think that for me, that was a very important part of me becoming a sex positive person, Mm -hmm. because I never felt that I was afraid of sex. That is so beautiful. It's funny because as you were speaking, I was thinking, I wish Erica Lust was teaching sex ed here. And then I thought, well, you are teaching sex ed because porn has become so much a source of sex education and you're changing that. And and it's interesting because I watched your incredible TEDx talk uh, in Vienna from 2014 and you share a bit about your own journey seeing porn for the first time and even though there was this sex positivity around you you still found it very objectifying yes because of course porn is not the same thing as sex and that is one of the things that that is troubling me today when when i realize that we do actually live in a society where pornography online have became sex education uh, and uh, it's it, it's that way whether we want it or not uh, so from my first experiences uh, you have to remember that i just turned 40 so <laughs> i was born in 70 and when I started to figure out uh, you know about sex uh, more seriously and I had these first experiences with a girlfriend of mine actually you know calling a group of girlfriends for a pyjama party and she had found uh, uh, a videotape because back then we had videotapes it wasn't even DVDs you know Uh, and very far from the online internet pornography of today so anyways uh, she had found this uh, videotape that her father had uh, taped and she told us oh my god we have to watch it and I remember that feeling like that that we felt that we're gonna watch something very special that's gonna explain to us how sex is done you know, how, mm-hmm. how do they actually do it? Because, of course, we had had all these talks about it. But I had at that point never seen actual sex between, you know, two human beings. And we were gathered, this little group of friends, you know, like in our pajamas with our popcorns, ready to, you know, put play on that video player. And we were like, oh, my God. And then we went uh, what is this? <laughs> I mean, what, like, this yeah. crazy, hysterical feeling in the room that instead of being something like, you know, really sexy, it was kind of trashy and it was kind of more funny, ridiculous than being something really sexy. Yeah, you talked about feeling, you know, you're laughing at it, but you also felt this sense of (laughs) repulsion, which I think so many of us relate to. And I have to say, I have enjoyed some of your films recently. And for me, it it made me very emotional in a, 
in another way, besides feeling turned on, which is very arousing and incredibly sexy and beautiful, but I had personally felt triggered by some porn I had seen. Um, it brought up, you know, some, for, for some women I know it brings up memories of, of sexual trauma, for example, or just feeling very objectified. Or for me, it was seeing this almost, it almost seemed like pedophilia that was on the screen because there were these, the performers were all, they all looked ve- like children. They were kind of dressed like children. It was very, and it's, it, it's one of the big problems with today pornography online that there's so much of it that is really, really bad and that has all these uh, very wrong values and it's totally misogynistic and many times very racist. And as a woman, when you look at it, you just feel like instead of appreciating each other, uh, there is some kind of situation where the men are kind of punish fucking the women you know it's 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 not about having a good time together they are just like smacking them up against the wall and kind of pushing them to the limits of what they can take and i feel that that is that is very sad because most people we are intrigued by the idea of watching people having sex. But then I think that we would like that to, to, to be, you know, interesting and to see what they are actually sharing sexually and to have that like erotic feeling to it, not just the, the, the pushing and the, and the ugly feeling of it. It's like porn today becomes so, so, so nasty. And it's like when you even talk about porn, people think that that is what it's kind of supposed to be. So I find it many times very difficult when when I'm in a conversation with people and, and they're asking me like, so what do you do? And I always kind of, it depends on the on the context, but I only always doubt when when to use the word porn because I feel that they have so many negative connotations and I feel that my films are so different from what they actually think about when they 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 think about the word porn. Yeah, that is absolutely so true. I find the same thing. If you say erotic film, it has a different feel for sure. And I'm so curious. I know you created a film called Good Girl, which I love the name of because my tagline is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. And I feel like people who have strong values and and want to enjoy sexuality, that shouldn't be an oxymoron. And I know you were a political studies and gender graduate. And then what, how did that transition happen? Was there like a specific moment where you thought, I'm going to make porn? Well, sometimes I'm still today surprised that it actually did happen, you know. Uh, but it, I, I guess, I mean, it's a long story, really, because I, I, I studied that back at university in Sweden, and then I thought that I was going to work for international organizations. So I worked a lot on my language skills every summer holiday I had from university. And I ended up in Spain because I wanted to learn uh, Spanish. And I just realized that I loved the city where I'm living today, Barcelona, so much. It's 
the, for me the most wonderful city in on 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 this planet really uh, and i came here the first time in 97 and then i came back 98 99 2000 i told myself oh my god i want to i want to live here i want to move here and then what happened there was kind of life you know i moved down here and i realized it was very hard to work for me in international organizations because barcelona is not one of the best cities for that and to work in politics was also kind of difficult because barcelona is a city where even if they do speak spanish it's a catalan city so i needed to learn catalan uh, as uh, another language also and that took uh, quite a lot of time so what happened was that i started uh, to work because I needed to earn money uh, in production uh, companies in dif different other visual production companies uh, they didn't have anything to do with adult it was just you know advertising film television uh, but little by little I learned how to make films and I realized that you know it was a great passion of mine I had always always loved cinema and going to the movies and uh, in that process I decided to start studying film also uh, and I had the opportunity to make a short film and it was in that context where I actually kind of sat down and I told myself so if I'm gonna make a short film what would it be about and I said to myself well I, I guess that's what I'm really interested in is something that has to do with women and 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 with female sexuality and mm, maybe mm, it should be erotic or you know mm -hmm. maybe it should even be more even it should be explicit but oh my god could I do that it's, it's, I don't know. And then I, I, I just felt, no, I have to try to do it because the way I saw porn, I didn't really connect with it, but I still felt that it was so much potential in it because I wanted to watch stories. I wanted to watch sexual stories and explicit sexy stories and see how people interacted sexually with each other. Uh, so I just decided to to write the script, <laughs> and that script turned out to be this this little short film called The Good Girl, and went viral, millions of downloads right away. No, it was it was at the beginning. It took a little time at the beginning. I I just didn't know what to do with the film because it was actually just you know, a project I was exploring, I was trying. So I showed it to friends and they started to say, oh my God, I love it. You should send it to a festival. And then I sent it to a festival and I won a prize. And, you know, more and more people started to to, to talk about it. And I, uh, this was in 2004, 2005. And on the internet, uh, blogs had become kind of, you know, something important. So I decided to start a little blog of myself so I bought myself, you know, ericalas.com, a domain, and I started my blog and I put up the film there. And just a few weeks after that, suddenly I had two millions of downloads. Mm -hmm. And people were writing to me like crazy saying, hey, I love your film. When are you going to make more? Please make more. And I have this story that I want to share with you. And I had so much like wonderful feedback so I just felt oh my god here's really an opportunity it's not just me wanting something different there are more people out there 
Absolutely. I love that you almost fell into it. Like it was a calling, but it wasn't this, you weren't thinking, I'm going to go change the porn industry. It started with a creative project. And now you have not only created your own work, but you're encouraging other women adult filmmakers. Tell us why you feel that is so important. Well, uh, basically because, uh, I mean, if we look at the whole adult industry today and who's making it, it's men. I mean, there's so few women really involved in it in important decision-making roles, you know, behind the camera as producers, even as distributors. Uh, so what I feel, I feel that, that, that we need to be part of the sexual discourse. We need to start telling, you know, as women, the stories that we want to see and the, the situations that turns us on. And we need to cast the kind of people that we feel are representing us because the men that are running the adult industry today, the directors and the producers, they are not doing it. Uh, and I realized that as a woman, it's very difficult to find opportunities. And it's, you know, even if it's it's a lot cheaper today to shoot the movie than it was 20 years ago, it's still a, a huge process. And the most difficult thing there is is maybe not how to make the movie, but it how to distribute that movie afterwards. What do you do with a movie? Because also the internet today is so big and there's so much noise out there. So it's very difficult to make your voice heard. That's why I also think it's so important to 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 gather, you know, to create new uh, websites uh, where we can actually uh, show a new initiative. And it's one of the things I've I've done lately with uh, a new a new website we created called eroticfilms.com, where we have gathered films from a lot of indie adult uh, directors all over the world many of them are women uh, and it's a great opportunity to see another kind of adult cinema that is very different from all these tube sites yes yes there. and it's so so needed and i know that so many people listening right now are like I didn't even know about this. How can I, how can I watch what, because I even, you know, if you Google the term feminist porn, for example, there's still so little, but you have this wonderful archive, basically. You filmed over 100 short films in its third year, X Confessions, in its seventh volume. Can you tell us a bit about that? And if people want to enjoy these films and maybe they're brand new to it, what would you recommend? Oh my God, there's so many and it depends so much on your taste because when it comes to sex also and when it comes to, 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 to women, I mean, we want so many different things. Uh, so one of the ideas with this whole project, X Confessions, and you can find it on xconfessions.com online. Uh, well, it's a crowdsourced project really where people uh, all around the world, anonymous people are sending in their confessions to this site, telling us all their stories, adventures, kinks, ideas, things that they want to do, fantasies or things that they have done. And uh, and you can read, when you go there, you can read all 
all these confessions. But then what, what do I do? Well, I pick two of those every month and I make short films out of them. And that's uh, these short films. We now have hundred short films in so many different genres. Um, and uh, I, I mean, uh, the audience is really fabulous. I was I, I was kind of surprised at the beginning when I started to read the confessions, and I realized that they are so different, actually, from the idea we have of mainstream porn. You know, in mainstream porn, we had like all these typical, like stereotypes typical stories told time after time after time you know it's always the the nanny and the girls in the prison and uh, it's the mafia and you know the slutty nurse mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of those like typical male driven ideas and fantasies and here uh, in on this side people are so creative and they're so funny and they have so many crazy stories to tell and for me as a filmmaker it's just a completely outstanding fantastic opportunity to try to you know write scripts out of these confessions and make films and all of the films are so different they have you know, they whole different kind of style to them. That's so exciting. I love how creative that process is. And it's it's almost like one of those, you know, reality TV competitions where someone has a, gives you a pitch and you work with it. And, and so I could see feeling not only the excitement of the film, but knowing that this came from a real confession is amazing. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And it's also very cool because people give you feedback and they write in the comments and they tell you what they think about the film. So it's like a community of of sex-positive people wanting something different. And I think that what you can really also see is if, if, if you go to the performers page and you look who are the performers, uh, you can see a lot more diversity you know different kind of people with different kind of looks they are not all you know the the slim teenage white blonde little girl you know Uh, these are real people uh, with their personalities and you know different uh, different colors and different body types and different ages and and I, I think it's a super cool project really to be part of Beautiful. I'm really excited to check it out more, and I'll I'll share the link with everybody. I'm also really curious about your take on ethical porn, because I feel like a lot of people aren't even sure what that means, and I'm not sure many people really think about how it's made. There's this sort of separation. Because people are so objectified, it almost feels like you're not really watching humans, you know? Like It's sort of like watching um, runway models who are very, you know stick thin there's a there's a dehumanizing piece where I feel like as a culture around the world around this stuff we don't necessarily think about how it was made no I think I think you're completely right and it's one of the things I'm really pushing for to make people start thinking about pornography as responsible consumers 
because most of the sites that are out there, if you if you go there and you check if they have an about page, there's none such page. There's nothing. There's not a name. There's not a picture. There's no people behind them. It's just kind of anonymous companies. Uh, and it makes you feel somehow that they are probably not very proud of, you know, the films that they are making because they don't want to show their face. And I think it's, it's important for people to start checking, like, a little more background facts. Who is the company behind that site that I'm visiting regularly? Is there someone behind it, you know? Um, and how do we do that? How do we find out what the company when, is? Are people pretty transparent when it comes to the creation? No, they are not transparent at all. Most companies have just a company name and then there's a post box in, you know, Las Vegas, Nevada. There's nothing more to it. And that makes me feel like, you know, we really need to, to, to start communicating better who are behind the films we are making. So what I'm also trying to do is, is to make a, 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 a trans, you know, a transparent process where I'm showing the people working on my films. So there's always, you know, a making of video available. There are interviews with the performers and with crew members. So you can get an idea of you know the, the really the team that that's behind the same thing with the people working in my office you know we are we are showing our face we are in pictures on our site so you can really see who we are uh, and I think that's that that's one of the important things that the adult industry really should go more more on that way uh, and they should definitely start thinking about uh, an ethical producing process uh, which is one of the things that especially performers are asking for you know they need to be treated uh, in a good way where they need all information before shooting because that's actually one of the problems today in the adult industry that uh, many companies are not giving their performers all the information before a shooting. You know, they need to know with whom are they proposed to shoot with. They need to see health testing of that person. They need to agree on every, you know, on, on, on the sexual situations that they are supposed to perform. Uh, and they need to know if, you know, everyone that will be involved and never ever pushed into doing anything that they haven't agreed on before i mean it's really when it comes to ethical porn it's just common sense you know it's yeah. it's obvious that that's the way it should be done yeah it's like feminism and sex positivity we shouldn't need a term that says sex is positive but but it's, it's like so but there's so yeah. much negativity around sex yeah. nowadays and it's very difficult and I see it also you know I have two daughters and my older daughter she just turned 10 and I can really see uh, how she's struggling at this moment to kind of understand the differences between what is you know good sexy and what is bad sexy because you know she sees so many sexual and sexualized images of especially women 
uh, all over. You know, it's in advertising, it's in music videos, it's on the internet, it's in magazines, it's all over the place, uh, in video games. And she asked me, you know, the other day, for example, she she was looking at some 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 video game, and then there was a bunch of of guys, and they were all prepared to get into the jungle, you know, in their in their uh, you know, right clothes to be dealing with jungle. And then there was one girl and she was in a bikini. And my girl just laughed at it, you know, and she said, oh my God, mom, she must be so stupid. Who would go into the jungle dressed in a bikini? What a bright girl though, you know, because it gets so normalized that those things don't always occur. You just, oh, I'm just, you know, I saw Atomic Blonde recently and I was really struck by how even a woman who is a strong, physically strong character we see on the screen, it's like she has to also be a mainstream porn star who is using her sexuality as a weapon. Like, it's amazing how common that stuff is. How do you sort through that with your daughter? Well, it's difficult, but it's like it's all over. What I'm trying to do with 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 her is... Uh, giving her the 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 a critical thinking or a critical language, and also she she she's aware of how women and men are presented in different ways in society. That's one of the main things, you know. It's making our kids and younger generations understanding. Uh, Understanding the difference of, of, of sexualizing someone and just wanting something. Yes, that is so that important. It does. <laughs> oh, it completely does. Yeah. And I think opening up the conversation is so much a part of it. And the fact that you're talking about adult film, not only creating it, but encouraging these conversations, I think is, is well, so important. The way I see it, it's, it's inevitable today, really, because when I grow up, for example, of course, we needed to talk about about sex uh, and you kind of figured out that porn existed, you know, on, on that way. But porn wasn't uh, wasn't a mass media when I grow up, as it is today, you know, because today it has really become a mass media. They are talking about that porn is one third of all the internet traffic, that, you know, every fourth search result uh, is someone Googling for something porn related. So porn has really become very, very big. And at the same time, technology has become very, very big. Internet is in every home and in every pocket. I mean, today we all walk around with our our, our phones, you know, our smartphones, and we have them in our pocket. And we can watch porn on them whenever we want. We don't have to, to even, you know, tell how old we are. We don't even have, we don't even need a credit card to buy it, you know. There's no, no such thing. It's just available for everyone. So what 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 I'm seeing that is happening is that as parents and educators, we can't avoid it any longer. You know, we need to prepare our kids the same way as 
we need to prepare them if they are going to go to a, a club or a discotheque or a bar. We need to talk to them about alcohol, right? It would be crazy to let someone just go there without even talking to them about alcohol or drugs or, you know, uh, cigarettes. Uh, because these are things that they are gonna they are gonna meet in that in that process. And today we give them uh, computers, accesses to computers. We give them telephones when they are, you know, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Mm-hmm. All of the kids already have them. And even if we don't give it to them, their friends have it. The neighbors' kids has it. Their cousins has it. So all of these a uh, very young generation of kids, they have access to pornography from a very, very early age. And one of the problems there is that the parents, they don't they don't dare to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. They put their head in the sand, you know, like pretending that it doesn't exist. But it's here. It's already here. So I see it very, very important for parents to dare to have this talk. So you kind of have to inform them that when they go online, uh, they they probably gonna stumble upon sexual explicit images, and those images many times are very aggressive, and they are definitely not thought for their uh, age. The same way as other film genres are not thought for their age, you know, like terror movies or traumatic drama, or you know even. Game of Thrones, come on, it's not for a nine-year-old kid, it's not for a 12-year-old kid, right? True, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that when people, when you're speaking about it, I feel like parents would really feel a sense of calm because the way that you're talking about it, I think so many parents who are concerned, oh no, I, I, I never want to think of my child seeing this stuff, is because they too have only seen the objectification and not the kind of of ethical porn that that you're creating. No, but but it's also very important to understand that I'm not talking here about that I think that kids should see porn. That's not at all what I think. I, I, I think that we should just warn them and help them to analyze what they probably already have seen yes. you know so we need to be there as support for them yeah you know, we we need to explain to them that uh, that uh, what they see if they have seen porn online is not the same thing as sex because obviously if nobody tells them that they don't know that they think that sex is the same as porn and it's not porn is a very exaggerated fiction of sex yeah done by by a very you know small group of men who has this kind of nasty idea so (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's so true i think knowing that there are those differences is is really really key especially when we aren't getting a lot of other education for sure one of the themes of our show today is is world changers, which I really think that you are. You are changing the world in really positive ways and and certainly within the erotic film space and in sexuality and in gender. And I wonder if you have any piece of advice or lesson that's helped you along the way for anyone who wants to get into a similar industry. Maybe they want to, to create 
erotic films ethically or or perform in them or, or do another kind of artistry that involves women's sexuality, what would you recommend? Well, uh, we started to talk before about this open call that I put out there a year ago looking for female uh, filmmakers uh, who, who who wanted to, to make adult films. Uh, and actually during this year I had a lot of response and we have already made around 15 films, short films, by women from different countries all over the world. Uh, uh, and uh, this open call is actually going on because it's been great, and I think that we need uh, we need a lot more women daring with this genre. So I would say, hey, if you are a filmmaker and you want to make uh, this kind of of films and you have ideas, please write to me. Maybe you know I can help you. I can finance it and I can produce your film. Beautiful. So amazing. So remind us again where people can find you. Well, I'm on ericalast.com. Beautiful. Thank you again for joining me and for all of the incredible work you do. Thank you so much. And just let me tell you also that uh, we've been talking about parents and educators uh, and how to how to talk to to uh, younger generations about pornography. And if you're curious about that, there's also a great website called thepornconversation.org where you can learn more about this and read a lot of articles and watch videos on the subject. Thank you so much again, Erica. So before we transition into our very fun rock and roll world-changing segment here, I have a question from a listener we're going to discuss with Dr. Megan Fleming, our resident sex and relationship expert. You can learn more about her at greatlifegreatsex.com. So we received this really important question from Paula who wrote this. I accidentally spotted very, very hardcore porn on my boyfriend's computer the other day. Then because I must be masochistic, I looked at his bookmarks and and he seems to watch a lot of this stuff. I am vanilla extreme and now feel both boring by comparison and a little freaked that he probably has violent fantasies. Plus, he hasn't told me about any of this in our three years together, which feels secretive, or maybe it's none of my business. I don't know what to say or if I should say anything. Paula, I imagine there are people relating to this, and I'm so grateful that you asked. Here's what Megan had to say. Paula, great question. Um, I guess I want to start by saying, you know, you're wondering if you're masochistic, and I can certainly say, based on the fact that you describe yourself as vanilla extreme, I really doubt that in any way you felt pleasure, sexual pleasure, um, from sort of viewing this uh, porn or the bookmarks of your boyfriend. Um, so let's be clear, you're definitely not the definition of masochistic. I think you're curious, um, and I think it's that curiosity and also maybe fear that led to your checking those bookmarks um, because it was your way of seeing, you know, what else is there. Um, and I think it starts with saying that there's a big difference between um, privacy and secrecy. Uh, you've been three years into a relationship, and again, even though you describe yourself as uh, sort of vanilla, you know, I'm wondering if your boyfriend on any level at any time has expressed an interest uh, for greater sexual variety, sexual positions, uh, maybe even like a light blindfold, if he might be, you know, by your scene hardcore, whether that might include some BDSM. Because, um, you know, I'm not sure if on any level 
that he's dissatisfied, um, but certainly seeing this calls it into question for you. And so, again, it just might be something that on his own, he really gets pleasure out of. And the thing I could say about fantasy and uh, erotica in general is that, listen, a lot of times what may turn someone on in fantasy is not necessarily something that they wanna do in real life. Um, and others, you know, it's such a big turn on that they really do kind of want to put a toe in the water and explore that uh, in real life with partners. And so, you know, I think the question, you know, ultimately, what do you do? Do you say anything or what to say? Um, I think, again, what I would say is it's an opportunity to create a conversation um, to talk about your sex life and, you know, what you enjoy about it, what's great about it. Um, and what either and or both of you might be interested in exploring. Um, and that could be through reading fantasies together, sharing fantasies. And the big thing is if he might reveal to you a fantasy of uh, say BDSM or anything, you know, that feels more hardcore, it's to really ask the question, and what about that turns him on? Because you just don't want to make jump to conclusions and judgments um, as if, you know, you know what that is. Or, or again, even this idea he's into hardcore porn doesn't necessarily equal violent fantasies, unless, you, of course, you might have witnessed something like that. Um, and so, again, if hypothetically it was violent fantasies, doesn't mean that he initially wants to act that out in any way. But we don't know until we ask. And so, you know, it could be bringing up a conversation about, um, you know, a girlfriend having read Fifty Shades of Grey or you're reading it and what, if anything, spoke to you or you might initiate a conversation that way, or there's now a popular sort of showtime. Uh, it's called Billions. And in that, uh, one of the primary couples, actually in the privacy in the bedroom, they have their own sort of BDSM role play. And so I actually have a client uh, who's older and he's um, interested in seeking new relationships who, you know, with partners who are interested in BDSM. And so for him, watching this show and seeing their reactions to it and having that conversation is kind of his own version of a litmus test. So, you know, I think there are many ways to sort of, sort of from the side, bring up the conversation without revealing that um, essentially you did invade his privacy by looking at those bookmarks. Um, and that again, it's really, as it is often is, great sex in part comes from great communication and the ability to express turn-ons and, you know, what, you know, again, I always come back to this yes, no, not for now, you know, so making a list and thinking it through and, you know, seeing whether or not, you know, at the end of the day, you might just be extreme vanilla or you might just be somebody who hasn't yet tried, yet being the upper word, other things that might be huge turn-ons for you. So I think it's an opportunity. It's always an opportunity. Um, you know, to have the conversation and see where it goes. And as always, love to hear, um, you know, the, the outcome of that and the next steps that you both are taking in your relationship. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she said about communicating. We don't know until we don't ask. And also the difference between secrecy and privacy. I think that's a really, really good point. And I'm really pleased to invite one of our rocker guests today, Michelle Mangione, who's one of my favorite musicians who I met earlier this year. She appeared on Girl Boner. She also performed at the Artemis Women in Action Film Festival and is one of just the most authentic people. And, and the music is incredible and is the way that she plays it with her whole body. It's, it's such an experience. It's more than just songs. So thank you for being here, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. That's awesome. I'm well, honored to be here. Reason number 379, <laughs> I adore you, is that when you walked in and I said, so I'm talking about porn before you come on. Do you want to join in? You're like, I love talking about porn. Sure. <laughs> what what struck you as you were hearing? Well, that? two things. One is the first thing that crossed my mind was 
basic differences between men and women. One is laughing out loud during a Three Stooges movie, and the other is being turned on by hard- hardcore porn. I think most men would probably do both of those things. Um, <laughs> women, you know, maybe, I don't know, half and half. I don't know what studies have been done, but I think that, you know, it. The what I've heard is when men are polled about porn, you know, hardcore, I, I think... In what from what I know, um, men are brought up to be a lot more aggressive in not just sexually, but in general from the time they're kids. I just had a job where I had to uh, look up G.I. Joe dolls from the 1960s. And one of the thing, now let me relate G.I. Joe dolls to porn in a really classy way. So the, the one <laughs> thing that I re- that really struck me from, from finding out about these war toys, because I also looked at the World War II army men, and is that men from a very early age are, are kind of brought up to to be aggressive and you know and it made me kind of sad but in a way it made me understand a little more and even I think in a sexual nature and I'm also glad that um that she said that about uh not being having necessarily the difference between um hardcore porn and violence there's it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a violent aspect to a man that watches yes absolutely because violence when it's when it's non-consensual yes that's assault right so yeah you're you made such good points about the way that guys are socialized it's mm-hmm. it's their their outlets tend to be you can have a very high sex drive mm-hmm. and you can be very violent and mm-hmm. physical mm-hmm. you know and, and laugh at three stooges movies and laugh at three stooges movies <laughs> you're so right about that actually now that i think about it yeah and then because most porn as erica lust mentioned earlier is made by straight men right. you know so we're going to see more of that i thought i thought that was a really really important piece and and having these conversations i feel like it's so taboo and yet it's such a huge part of our culture now Oh, yeah. With women, I think women are getting way more outspoken, you know, in talking about porn, talking about what they like, what they watch, what they want to see, the movies that are being made now, you know, um, which makes me glad because not everybody likes the same thing. And there's what's the word? There's a term for the way that that's filmed, that that a lot of porn is filmed. Um, oh, it's the, male, the male gaze. The, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. The male gaze, right. Yeah, it's really true. And once you think about that, you can see it. I mean, mm-hmm. you see the lens. Is, that's the lens. Oh, yeah. And so it, and it's teaching everyone who's seeing it about gender roles. Sure. Yeah, so that's, that's unfortunate. But I do think that when we can have those conversations, especially when it's with an intimate partner, it does open the door for more closeness because you have to be very vulnerable mm-hmm. to say, like, that makes me uncomfortable or I'm interested in that. And maybe Paula's partner has been wanting to bring it up and he doesn't feel because guys aren't encouraged to be vulnerable either. Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm s- such a fan, obviously, of your your work and your music. But one thing I also love about your artistry is so much of it has a lot of purpose and you've been really concerned about some of the events happening with people going through hurricanes, being displaced, animals being displaced. Tell us a bit about your venture and also how it kind of came to be. Uh, Writers for the Storm is what we are calling this new project. And it came about 
um, well, do a little backstory, is that um, during the Gulf Coast oil spill after Katrina, Louisiana was just suffering, suffering. And Grace uh, Slick wrote some lyrics. She called me and she said, I don't know what to do. I mean, as a songwriter, she said, I know, you know, that I can write. I've written some lyrics. I don't know what to do, but I need to do something to give back to these people or to give to these people. Would you write some music? And she said, how about like a Cajun-y type feel? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll give it a shot. I mean, when, when someone like Grace Slick, you know, actually yeah, hands Jefferson you lyrics Airplane, and says, I mean, right. she's... <laughs> Iconic, <laughs> right? Like for decades. Yes, and yes, and as an outspoken woman who, you know, someone who is not afraid to speak her mind, I've always admired her for that. So, um, in this case, she said um, she was willing to t- donate all of the the proceeds to this song if we recorded it and downloaded it. And you know, we did that. We went to Louisiana. We found a good um, vehicle, which is called the Greater New Orleans Foundation, and and they. To, you know, 100% of, the, of the, the proceeds after bank fees, blah, 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 went to the victims of the, the Gulf Coast spill. When these storms happened, it was like a no-brainer pretty much to re-release this song and, and possibly, instead of writing a new one, we don't have time. You know, we're trying to, we want to help as quickly as we can. We also know that it will be ongoing. And we also know that there is another storm now, Irma, um, that is threatening and also, you know, I think pretty much doing the damage as we speak. So we wanted to offer kind of an ongoing vehicle for songwriters, for a community of songwriters to get together and to not challenge each other, but to to ask each other for help in this project of donating what I've kind of coined now the, the one song, one dollar for one month program. So where a songwriter will take a song like we did with The Edge of Madness and put it up for sale at their site for uh, for a dollar and donate the proceeds, all the proceeds, to the victims of Hurricane Harvey and now, of course, Irma. And so that's kind of what we're doing. And we're, we're doing it as we speak. We just today, um, thank God, thank you, Ben Zugel, for donating the, the uh, uh, website services and um, there's all sorts of people now that are hopefully gonna gonna get involved incredible incredible I'm so happy that it exists it's inspiring to me and the song is gorgeous we're gonna play a clip from it and then you guys Grace Slick is gonna join us by phone to to weigh in and I have a feeling we're gonna get into some cool girl boner-esque chat as well (laughs) definitely Who will hear our story? Who will see this hell? Who will bring us justice? Tell me, who will? Grace Slick is an American singer-songwriter, musician, artist, and former model widely known for her role in rock and roll history and San Francisco's psychedelic music scene of the 60s, which also was the start of the sexual revolution, by the way. And during her four-decade music career, she was one of the lead singers of Jefferson Airplane and involved in the Great Society, Jefferson Starship, and Starship. She also performed solo off and on and provided vocals on iconic songs, including Somebody to Love, White Rabbit, We Built This City, and Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. Thank you so much for joining us, Grace. Oh, thank you for having the uh, old load. Oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> the last way that I would think of you. I, 
I have a very big girl boner because I'm such a <laughs> I'm such a hippie at heart, and I I just love uh, everything about you, your outspokenness, your your career, and the work you're doing now for for hurricane victims. Well, thank you. It's just uh, when usually most of the people I know who are my age, which is 77, or you know, give or take a year. Uh, <laughs> it's lots of doctor's appointments because they're trying to slap Band-Aids on us to keep us breathing for another two years or whatever it is. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so there's, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of boring, but I do have a sense of humor, so that, that pretty much keeps me alive. That must help a lot, yes, absolutely, and continuing to, to make your art. I would love to find out about your early journey. Did you have any yeah. sort of like sex education, or do, did your parents teach you anything about the birds and the bees? No. Not a thing. Uh, and, and I knew what was going on, and here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what you're not supposed to do. And, uh, you know, the way most kids are, you follow some of it. Uh, I wasn't a complete rebel when I was a teenager. I did pretty much what I was told. Uh, I turned into a goofball when I ran into a guy who's actually brilliant. He was married to my friend, and he was in the 40s. They had a show called The Quiz Kids. They were they had brilliant minds, and you'd ask them questions, and people would win prizes and stuff. So he said, you know, you have a good mind, but there's nothing in it. And he started handing me books, and he was real good looking. He was a model, and he brilliant mind, and all this. So I would read these books just to impress him, <laughs> so we could have discussions. And I never paid any attention to politics before that, or history, or anything. I just sort of skimmed through school. Uh, but once I was trying to impress this guy, I started reading about it, and I thought, oh, well, my parents are Republican. I'm not doing that, and I haven't done that since. So I didn't really care what I was taught. Uh, what I wanted to do is use my own uh, judgment as to what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. So it was... This guy, unfortunately, is nuts. He's bipolar, so he's hard to live with, which I did uh, about 20 years ago for a brief period of time. But he's got a brilliant mind, so I learned a lot from him. Beautiful. I love that. You're really open in your memoir about a lot of different experiences, including sexuality, and you talk about having sex with Jim Morrison, and you said it was like making love to a floating art form with eyes. I'm curious what sexual experience felt the most empowering or strengthening to you? Well, he's not uh, necessarily the best, uh, but he uh, was interesting in that he used himself as a lab. Uh, he uh, would take... We went with them, the, the um, doors and Jefferson Airplane were playing in Amsterdam. Now, Amsterdam drugs were legal. So when we went shopping, the two bands together, uh, all the kids knew who we were when we were walking down the street. And they'd come up and give us drugs. And we'd either say thank you very much and put it in our pocket, or uh, no thanks, I just had one or whatever. But Jim would sit down on the curb and take whatever they gave him. And I thought, God damn, you've got to play tonight, you know? And sure enough, uh, they we would trade. Sometimes they'd be the headliner, sometimes we would. 
So that night we were the headliners, and they went on first. And he he was like he looked like a pinwheel. He came on stage. It was just goofy, and they had to take him to the hospital. Mm. But he didn't care. He he didn't care. He took more drugs than anybody I've ever seen. That's amazing that performers can can perform in yeah. in and those it, states. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes you can't perform. Sometimes you get arrested, which I have been uh, from being on stage and saying a variety of unpleasant things to uh, officers, police persons, and usually it was in Ohio. We used to get arrested every time we played Ohio, <laughs> a very conservative area back yeah. there. And my daughter's uh, husband is from Ohio, and I say, why do you like it? He, he'll go back there at the drop of a hat to hang out, and I say, God, we, you know, but I guess if you're born somewhere, you make friends, and, you know, it's comfortable. Absolutely. So I'd love to hear both from you and from Michelle why you wanted to create this song, The Edge of Madness, and what you're hoping to do with it as far as helping victims of these these latest hurricanes. Well, creating any song, even if it's about a turtle, the point basically is to get people to uh, download it or buy it or whatever the process is. And the money goes to help people who have been vanquished by this thing. And there's another one, Irma. And then following that, there's going to be another one, Jose. So it, we're not get, we don't even get a chance to come up for error. So uh, as much as we can do with this song, or any song for that matter, because there are other people involved, other songwriters, other uh, performers, uh, as much as you can do, you know, you, you give. If you can give $5, fine. If you can give half a million, fine. It's just whatever you can do. Yeah, every bit counts. Yeah, and that's one of the things also that I have been telling people is that it doesn't matter how much, how many downloads you get. This is not a download competition. It's not a song competition. It doesn't even matter if the song lyrics are relevant to the cause it's just yeah, that's what i said it could be about anything yeah you know, right it could just... be about a turtle write a song yeah. about a turtle that would be good and then you know and and make it available and you know donate even at the end of the month this is going to be ongoing like i said for a long time we're gonna this is you know this is going to keep keep on so we have to keep the songs coming and that's why we're asking people it doesn't matter how many followers are Facebook friends or, or downloads you have, you can make a difference. You can make a difference with whatever song it is that you choose, as long as you own the rights to it. <laughs> yeah. Don't take like one of the Beatles songs right. or one of the Jefferson Airplane yeah. songs and just slap your name on there. <laughs> yeah, right. Please, please own the rights to the song that you're, that you're giving yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> Grace, what inspires you to, to use your skills in these ways? It seems like you've always been, like you said, really passionate since you started reading more. Have you seen your music as activism? Uh, sometimes, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it, because of rock and roll, which I never knew was going to happen. I just got into it because I thought it'd be more fun than modeling, which is Amen. a little bit boring, and you have to change your clothes all day, and I hate that. <laughs> I don't even like to put them on once in the morning. I hear you, man. I've been there, yeah. So, so doing that was not my idea of fun. Went to see Jefferson Airplane and said, oh, that looks like a lot more fun. My mother was a singer. I can do that. You know, the dumbass uh, things you think when you're young. But uh, it turned out real well. And if you get to be 
in a rock and roll band when you're in your 20s, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and it's the 60s, we're basically being paid to have fun. And that's just optimal. (laughs) So if if that's happening, uh, why not throw a little back one way or the other, free concerts or, uh, you know, like this thing or whatever it is. Uh, there's absolutely no harm in throwing it back. Absolutely. You're so right. Why not? If, we ha- if we're on this planet, why don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. What advice do you have for artists who are brand new and, and hoping to create careers where they can thrive as musicians? I have no idea because uh, the structure of the music business was different. At that time, they had A&R people at the record company or companies who would go around and look at acts who were performing live around New York or Chicago or New Orleans, wherever. And then they'd come back and say, I saw this marvelous dog act, or what if, you know, is singing dogs? I mean, I love singing dogs. I don't know if they have A&R people doing that anymore, (laughs) or if they judge it by word of mouth or what it is. But then you get signed to a record company and they put out records into a store. I mean, it was very simple. Uh, and there's a certain amount of publicity goes on. Uh, and Billboard magazine, oh, you're number one, you're number seven, whatever it is. So it was a much simpler process. I don't know how anybody gets discovered anymore. I have no clue. Right. It's probably YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> American Idol. Yeah, absolutely. I read that you paint every day. Is that true? Yeah. It's, I have to be creating something. I don't even care what it is. If somebody said, I'm sorry, can't paint anymore, okay, I'll make, uh, I'll be a set designer. I'm sorry, you can't do that. Okay, I'll write. I'm sorry, you can't do that. I mean, it just doesn't matter to me. The only thing I can't do in the arts, really, and I'm not bragging on how good I am, because I'm not a genius, but I don't suck either. Um, the only thing I really can't do is dance. I'm a complete klutz. So I wouldn't go into... <laughs> and also, being 77, most ballet companies uh, are not looking for 77-year-old dancers. Although that starters. could be the the thing. Maybe that would be a gimmick then, because no one else is doing it. It could be the stinging dogs and the 77-year-old yeah. dancer. <laughs> yeah, but uh, even when I was... Like when I was a kid, I took dancing because I wanted to be a ballet dancer when I was about five. I took dancing lessons and we did a recital. And afterward, the dance teacher said to my mother, maybe there's some of the other arts that Grace might be interested in. (laughs) I love that. That's so funny. Which is really, you know, that's well worded rather than saying, God, get her out of here. Oh, that's so (laughs) funny. Because for one thing, I didn't memorize the part. I I just did the steps I wanted to do, which was not what we were taught. And uh, I I lurched all over the stage. So it, it was probably somewhat funny you know it probably was humorous it probably was and I know this is wishful thinking and I wasn't going to mention it because it's very self-involved but when I was reading about your background I read that you have lineage that goes back to the Mayflower as do I and you're Swedish and and, or Norwegian and Swedish as am I and you're a klutz and as am I so I was like well maybe we're like distant relatives (laughs) somewhere I got a letter from a, a, a fan I guess it is um whose name is Wing, W-I-N-G, which is rare for uh, Caucasian. It's very common for Chinese, but not for Caucasian. 
So uh, he was trying to figure out if we were related. And I said, well, you, <laughs> there, it's rare, but it's not so rare that you can go there, you know. <laughs> but, uh, it, yeah, I um, am a Swedish-Norwegian. Uh, my mother's a mishmash, so I'm basically like most Americans. Right. Just a stew of stuff. And we're all connected somehow. I mean, and that's that's the thing with music, too. I think it's such a beautiful connecting force. Just as you were saying, we're, we're this big mishmash. I feel like music is kind of a universal language. Yeah, it's funny because with a lot of people, my daughter, her father, who was part of uh, uh, Jefferson Airplane, uh, started Jefferson Airplane with Marty Ballon, um, a lot of musicians, we've tried to figure out what is it about music that just knocks your socks off, you know? It, there's, it does something to the brain, and we can't figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is universal language, and uh, <clears throat> it, it's almost impossible to figure out why it so affects us. Yeah. You know, I'm it's something glad. to do with the brain that we can't explain. Yeah, I'm glad for that fact, that we can't explain it. I, I, I think yeah, I, it makes it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of want to. I kind of. I've. I've. I wanted to figure it out for a while. I used to be when I was a kid. I used to sit and play the drums, and I would go into this zone, and then I would like come to like twenty minutes later. I would be playing this this groove. <laughs> I was like, where the hell am I? I was like dissociating, you know. But it was like meditative, and that I mean, it hooks you. It just hooks you, and then you know, and then of course you get on stage and you get to connect with people and have all that energy, and it's just cool as shit yeah, and then... it, it is amazingly <laughs> like uh, i said earlier it's really a gift to be able to do that yeah so that's why i said we're, we're basically being paid to have fun mm -hmm. except ex i can do that you know? <laughs> except when you don't have roadies the other night i was lugging my gear up three flights of stairs <laughs> oh geez. yeah i feel well. like it feel like an old yeah. like an old man talking about when I was your age I had to lug my gear up three flights of stairs <laughs> in the snow naked with no shoes on um. <laughs> you know you probably don't relate to that way Grace Hi, I guess I'm guessing you had a lot of roadies over the years yeah we did and uh, we also got kind of famous uh, relatively quickly so there wasn't a lot of musicians lugging anything around. It was we had roadies, so we didn't we didn't have to do the uh, Michelle uh, Mangione trick, uh, <laughs> which is amazing, by the way. Yeah, I didn't want to just add water gear. That's what I want. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Grace, what music do you prefer to listen to, or is it a huge variety? Let's see. Yeah, it's kind of uh, all over the map. It <laughs> could be. Gypsy Kings, or it can be a soundtrack from uh, The Gladiator, or it could be uh, Eminem, or it can be uh, right now, what do I have on there? Um, Fleetwood Mac, Rumors, hmm. which I keep listening. I put things on in my car, which is where I love to listen, because the acoustics are what I like. It's not broad and echoey like in a big room. And it's not just stabbing you in the ear like headsets are. Mm -hmm. So it moves around, but it's in a small space. I really like the sound. And I used to tell all the producers, before we put out a single, take it and listen to it in a car. If it sounds good in a car, 
we're off to the races. Mm -hmm. And they just look at me funny, but they do it. So, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, there's something about the space. It's not because it's a car. It's because of the way the space is. And uh, so right now I have Rumors on there, which is really a good album. Beautiful. I love that so much. So we're going to hear a clip of your song pretty soon here. Any other words you want to share with people about, or anyone who's going through the kind of aftermath of Harvey or facing Irma, what would you like people struggling to know? I have no idea because I have never been in a situation like that. My house burned down, but I wasn't there when it burned down. So I just came back and there's a lot of charred things. Yeah. <laughs> but I've never been in a situation like that. And when I see this stuff on television, I just think, my God, no food, no water, no communication. Just you're sitting on your rooftop. My God, what you know, this and this is not just one person. It's tons of people going through this. And I just think, God, can't we do something? I mean, you know, one thing I really like, though, I always have, even without a disaster, is helicopters. The fact that the, what they can do is just amazing because of where they can go and uh, their size and so forth and being able to pull people up out of situations. So I'm really glad. I love it when I watch a helicopter's working, helicopter mm -hmm. pilots. I was going to learn how to fly a helicopter, but there's no point because I don't have the money to buy one. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not starving to death or anything. But I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> yeah. So I never did learn. But it's probably stupid because I could have rented one, I guess, right? Well, now you can get a drone, Grace. You can fly a drone. <laughs> there you go. But I'm not on it. It's too little. <laughs> right. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for all you're doing. I'm, I'm really honored to have a chance to chat with you. Thank you for having us and letting us blab here about it. <laughs> Such a beautiful and upbeat song. Tell us a little bit more about kind of the process of how that song came together, because it sounds like, and also your whole organization, so many different musicians mm -hmm. are playing a part. Yes. That song, I have a list actually on, I think it's on my website, of who was involved. Every person involved in that project did the work for free. Every musician, every singer, and there's a list of, I don't know how many, I didn't count. I don't think I ever counted. Um, but including, um, when, when we decided to do the song, we just reached out to people, to musicians, singer Bill Medley from the Righteous Brothers, um, one of the most beautiful voices that I've ever heard. You can hear him singing at the end. Totally, you know, free. Everybody. Nobody to, uh, Terry Nunn came into the studio, uh, Martha Davis, Billy Zoom. Um, God, I mean, I just, the list goes on. And nobody was like, <laughs> nobody when they heard the track said, oh, I can't hear myself in the mix. You know, it's kind of like, which, you know, it's just like, Does that no. happen a lot? Everybody, okay, sometimes. Yeah. But, but everybody was just like, you know what, just, just whatever you need. I'll come over and do it. They came over to my little bedroom studio. And did, we recorded this song in my in my bedroom, 
Um, not all at once. <laughs> we were not there all at once. Um, I feel like I'm moving in now into a totally different conversation. But um, so being in my bedroom with 15 musicians at once. Um, so this is really it's been a labor of love, and this song was was just that, and it just kind of happened. There was a kid. I went on YouTube, and I found this kid from I think he was from Denmark. And he was this great drummer, and he was playing in uh, this Cajun sort of feel. And he, I called his parents, and I said, you know, can I talk to him? Would you mind if I used his little piece of drumming? So in the middle, there's a little drum interlude where he plays, and it's just beautiful. And then when we were done, we went to New Orleans, and we spoke with the Greater New Orleans Foundation, who is the pe- these are the people that we're talking with about you know, donating to the hurricane victims now. And we performed there. We met a bunch of cool people. We played at places like Chikiwawa where you could literally see the flood waters from Katrina, the level, the water line on the stage that I was playing at. The water line was up above our heads to where the water had been in this club. And so um, it was it really affected us that way to go, and we saw some of the damage from mm. Katrina. We talked to the people then. So anyway, so that's why we're so, I think one of the reasons as well why we're so mm. passionate about this now. And do you feel, because when we are experiencing that kind of hopelessness that mm-hmm. is hard not to feel when we see the headlines and we see the news, whether we've been through it or not, it can feel like, what can we do? Mm-hmm. Does the creative process help you both therapeutically for yourself, you know, just just knowing that you're able to make some effort. Do you find that that's something that you recommend to people to tap into? Oh, God, yes. I'm hoping that this will inspire, like, kids to write a song, even if they want to write about, maybe it'll give them something to write about or to write for, you know. Um, and I'm hoping that kids that have been affected by these storms, um, I would love to be able to just fly over and and help them record and play and write and do anything I could. I would love to be able to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, but the other thing is when I think about what you just asked me to think about, and you could probably relate to this, um, that so many of us can remember songs, how music at one point gave us hope. Mm -hmm. Whatever it was, whether we were going through a breakup or devastation or fire or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. I've had people come up to me and say, God, you know, this song, um, thank you because I was going through blah, 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 and this song just happened to be Mm. on my car stereo, and it it helped me through it. Mm. And that, to me, is like I get goosebumps, you know, I think about that. Yeah, you never know how it's going to affect someone. Right. You never know. You never know. I remember going through a breakup, a really rough one, and my sister sent me this mix CD. Mm -hmm. It was one of the most helpful things. Mm knowing that she put it together and I could hear how much thoughtfulness because every song had like a particular message and anytime I hear any one of those songs mm-hmm. it brings me back to that feeling of feeling supported right yeah it's beautiful yeah yeah so this is completely putting you on the spot but would you be up for jamming just for a minute sure live sure okay. I'd love to hear something I have to grab my guitar go for it all right cool I'm gonna tell Gabe This has never happened before. I'm so excited that you're going to really Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Tell us what you're going to. I don't want to blow. So I think what I'm going to do 
is I'm just going to play a little bit of um, The Edge of Manus. Perfect. Okay. And um, It's a gorgeous guitar. I see it says, take on hate, has a peace symbol. It does. It has my little peace sign. I have no idea where this came from, but it, it's kind of old. Um, Steve Sos made this, made the guitar, actually. Um, so I think it's the only one in the world, which makes me very happy. You are just a one-person band. I love I, it. <laughs> you guys, this is one person. I'm not doing any oh part God. of this. Are we on right now? <laughs> We're on. Oh, shit. Okay, sorry. All right, so this is just a little piece of the edge of madness. Who will hear our story? Who will see this hell? Who will bring us justice? Tell me who will. <laughs> In Baton Rouge as a train to Crescent City The bourbon street keeps calling him back To a Cajun girl so pretty Old men sit outside the bars Tell stories they can't forget Songs fly up to the evening stars On distant clarinets But now she sees the sorrow And the anger of the crowd says rise up for tomorrow stand together cry out loud who will hear our story who will see this hell who will bring us justice tell me who will who will soothe the sadness help us heal ourselves on the edge of madness like 10 applause buttons where's my audience where's, where's the laugh track no that was a <laughs> laugh track kidding, you're amazing thank you thank so you. much i'm thank so you. honored that you would perform here such a gorgeous song it has so much heart and it's really uplifting which i think we need right now thank yeah yeah you know what i'm i, I hope so yeah. you know yeah so tell us again where everyone can find the song and become potentially a part of this well, we are uh, right now live. Now we're in the really early stages, so we're just starting our our Facebook and our website, um, and it's all it's changing as we speak. But we are live at uh, Facebook. Uh, I think it's forward slash Writers for the Storm, Facebook Writers for the Storm, and uh, you can find the website at writersforthestorm.com. It may be right now, I just put it up this morning because Banzoogle just donated their, their services to us. It may be writersforthestorm.banzoogle.com. I'm not sure, but it will be up within the next 24 hours. 
Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being Mm -hmm. here and for sharing your gifts. Any last words that you would like to share with anyone struggling in the midst of these storms? Um, I, my thoughts and prayers go out to whoever is suffering from any kind of storm right now. There's a lot going on, um, I know, in our country, but especially with these two major storms that are happening um, today. And gosh, I hope that there's something that we can do to help and um, just, you know, keep, keep marching on. We're here with you. Amen. Absolutely. Same goes from all of us here in the Grove Owner community. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Please do go and download that song, spread the word to your friends, and keep using your gifts for good for yourself especially. I think it's so important. If you haven't yet subscribed on iTunes, I hope you will, and leave us a simple review while you're there. Thanks again for listening, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.